really important was to always get feedback and not everyone gives it, but that was my thing was, can you please let me know? Like, what is it that I did or, you know, that why did you choose this company or this person? Right. Like I'm, I'm genuinely curious just to know what it is you value in someone else. I feel like that's what's been helping me through it more is to like understand people more because is it actually something I can't offer? Well, then that makes sense. But if it's, something I could offer and maybe I'm not, or it gives me some idea, then I think it's really great to do your own research and like ask the question so that, that you can get all the info on it. That's Alex Friesen, who in her 20s built, grew and sold her surface business in two and a half years. Although Alex is not a tech founder, her story reminds us that a surface model can be a viable option to generate capital to pursue our own dream venture before seeking outside funding. Hey, welcome to the Small Fish Big Money podcast. I'm your host, Mina Fong. In this world where big fishes seem to dominate, this podcast uncovers the amazing wins small fishes can create. We dive into the candid conversations with solo founders and brilliant investors who have beaten the odds and make big money while doing it. Simply put, how do they play the game and win the game? If they can't play the game, how do they make the game and still win the game? Let's get right into the conversation with Alex. Welcome, Alex, to Small Fish Big Money Podcast. You bought your first house when you were 19. Then you went to achieve your professional certification as a CPA. Then you built your own firm, sold your firm in two and a half years. While you're doing, you also obtain another professional destination as a realtor. And now you have changed your career completely. And also while you are reaching your 30 or before your 30, you also build a house, a new house, and also create wonderful human being, your new baby, all before <laughs> you were 30. That sounds so amazing. Did I get any of those right wrong? I mean, pretty, pretty correct. It, it, I feel exhausted just listening to that list. But it, yeah, I'd say the only piece is I, I bought my condo when I was 20, I think. So close enough. But yeah. <laughs> 21st condo. And then now you, you finish building your house and you yeah. have a new baby. How old is your baby now? He is six and a half months. Amazing. It sounds like you've achieved a lot. And that's one of the reasons I would like to, to share with our audience. How did you even get the idea of investing in your first condo? And where did you ca- get the capital to invest? I think at that age, well, I, I mean, it was also based on the market, right? Like that was actually a, an okay market to buy in. And at that time, I mean, I was still a student. So could I have qualified on my own? Probably not. So I actually did have family that helped me with that. I also had family, the same family member, my dad, he actually lent me money for part of that down payment. So I was able to get sort of a cheaper loan from family, which I then paid him back once I ended up selling it. But it was just a way to like, 
get a down payment enough, you know, to cover that 20%. So I didn't have the CMHC fees that you get if you're under 20%. And it just made my mortgage payment a little bit more reasonable. So if I had to rent it out, I was able to break even doing that. And yeah, the idea at that point was, okay, I've worked, I basically worked as much as I could while finishing high school. And then while I was starting college, so I built up this like pretty decent chunk that I wanted to put somewhere. And I was like, well, probably real estate would be like a good idea. And that's kind of where my passion for real estate started as soon as I invested in it. And I realized how much fun it actually is, especially as you see that grow over time. Yeah, I bet you also work quite a bit. And you probably before when we I remember before I was 20s, I was a pure consumer and everything I have, well, I saved quite a bit, surprisingly. But then my saving is for spending. So I save to spend, not save to invest. That is <laughs> just one level up. So hopefully the people who are listening to this, if they have kids or if they have friends, families, they're in their teens or early 20s, we want people to save to invest. They are not thinking about save to spend. So that's very interesting. You save, you borrow money, you help to use the resources from your family, and then you're thinking about investing. Is there any single moment make you think that investing in real estate is a good thing or you were thinking or you just come across some advertising that, oh, buy this condo for this much? It was definitely in my mind. I think just family influencing me on that, sort of getting it in my head of, well, you could invest this money here, right? And so the thought came to mind. So then I kind of was on the listings, like I'd get the automatic listings for my realtor to sort of see what's on the market. And what was interesting at that point was there was a few foreclosures happening. So it was actually a foreclosure that came up, which is why it was such a low price. And those are not easy to to deal with. You actually have to go to court <laughs> to actually bid on this place, right? It's a very odd process. And like someone who's buying their first place, ideally, they don't have to go through that because it is very stressful. But I ended up getting that condo after competing with a couple people on it. And that is why like it was sort of a... To me, it was a no-brainer because it just financially made sense that like, yes, if I do a little bit of fixing up on it, there's a few things that are needed. I can probably make some money on this over like the next couple of years, or I can rent it out, which is actually what I did. I rented it out right away. So I did the full on financial analysis before I even did it so that I knew like this was what I wanted to do. So there weren't any like regrets or whatever, but there's always a part of you that's like, am I making the right decision here? Because all my money is just leaving me, you know, with this transaction. And so you just have to like, have faith. And that's what I did. And yeah, it it worked out. I mean, there was a point in time where even the rental market wasn't that good. So I couldn't get it rented while I was still at home, like going to school, but I was still able to keep it going and then move in it myself once I was ready to move out of my house, my parents' house. You mentioned you did financial analysis Does that mean that you were taking financial courses, accounting courses in university? That's why you learned how to do those things? Or you did it on your own, do your own research? Well, thankfully, my dad was or is an accountant. So he's what got me in that area. But I I was actually from high school onwards, like math and numbers were my thing. So 
I was already in Excel, you know, before I graduated high school. So I learned a, a thing or two about budgets and and whatnot. So I kind of did my own little like simplified version of, you know, like a scenario plan of what things could look like. And because at the time, I think right at the time I was starting college for my accounting. So that also was useful as well, sort of getting that foundation and knowledge. What's that the reason why you get into accounting because of your dad, your family? Yeah, that similar to my reason of purchasing real estate, there's like a lot of influence there. So I, I felt like accounting because I had such a love for numbers. I was like, okay, yes, accounting, that's my thing. It's a stable job. It's got, you know, decent salary, whatever. So I thought, okay, I'll go into that. At least then I'm somewhat set and I've got a bit of a foundation of experience and then go from there. So that's, I knew like before I even graduated, that's what I was doing. I also know you didn't choose to go into the big four. Instead, you worked for until when coming remote, what do you call that virtual accounting firms? Or there's stories in between. What I want to get at is nowadays, for example, I want to hire some people who just graduating. Then I, oh, your remote story. Yeah, I want to go for big four. So it's hard to compete to get brilliant mm-hmm. people like you to work with us. So how do you, how did you choose your path at that point? after graduating from accounting? Yeah, I mean, I think at that time, I mean, that was however many years ago, maybe 10, I don't know. (laughs) But at that time, there wasn't a ton of virtual happening. Like, it was very rare. So I didn't even have that in my mindset. It was like, okay, do I work for a big four? Do I work for a smaller firm locally? And so at that time, I kind of, I I decided that I was going to work for sort of a small, medium firm so that I could get more experience because that's all you knew. Like you'd have this like list of firms in the area and then you just like go and interview at them all. Right. So now if you like fast forward to today, you it's not just those firms. Like there's virtual firms, there's CPA licensed firms that will actually be able to take you on as a CPA. So there's a lot more options. Had I known, like had I had that option then would have been a no brainer for me. However, there's a lot of people that really do like that brick and mortar office where they can just like knock on someone's door and get an answer. And for me, like I, once I did my couple years in typical like paper-based firm, I branched out and I learned like, oh, there's this remote that I've never seen before. And that's, it drew me in like right away. And I can never go back. Like once you start in that, you just can't go back. It's just not the same. I agree with you 100%. My firm also 100% remote. I won't say never, but so far I enjoy 100% remote. Productivity is just as good if it's not more. So how did you go from it being working from someone else than building your own firm relatively quickly? Did you leave when you were a manager, when you reached the manager level, or did you leave to build your own firm before you reach the manager level? I had a bit of a different path. Like I I would say that was, I think you mentioned this about like figuring yourself out in 20s. That was kind of me with my career. I was like, I don't know what, what I want or where I want to go. So I kind of played with a few different industries. So I went from like, you know, I was in my CPA with firm 
locally in Victoria. And then I decided, okay, actually, I'm going to try a bit of provincial government. So I did that for a few months, but I couldn't actually get the education I needed for my CPA. So that's when I stumbled across LiveCA, which is a virtual firm based out of Toronto. And that just opened a bunch of doors. And I was like, wow, this is cool. So I spent a few years there, finished my CPA. And then I ended up leaving to work at a local tech company in Victoria. So it sort of opened doors to working for more of like startup level companies because that was really interesting to me. So I kind of did that in Victoria. And I realized that there's a market here for doing this kind of thing fractionally. Like at the time I had a controller job, but you know, it was sort of this like idea that I could do this for a couple of companies. Cause once I go in, fix all their stuff, create some processes, some reporting, it's really an easy job after that. And I don't want to be sitting there doing nothing. So I'd rather, you know, do a fractional job for this person as well as all these others. <laughs> and that's what sort of naturally turned into a company. So I then, you know, this was, 2019, I then decided that, okay, well, I'm just going to go all out. I'm going to incorporate, figure out a name, do all this stuff. And because I already had a couple of clients in the works at that time, it was a nice like foundation where I could say, okay, I'm going to leave my full-time job and start this company with a few of my clients and see where it goes. So that's how it happened. That's very smart. You're building out the next step or you have multiple things going on at the same time. So you're not risking your capital or your time completely into like jumping into something mm-hmm. far away and then test it out. And then finally, you either didn't like it or don't like it or you spend all your money. That that was my story, That but that's what I have to say. That spend all the money yeah. and find out that, that that's not something I really enjoy or do or is a good way to make money. So how did you go for to build your own firm and then have a few kinds? That's fantastic. But I understand you grow a lot more after that in just two and a half years. So how did you do that? How did you grow with multiple things going in parallel? As a brilliant business person, how did you grow your customers? Also, retain them enough that ultimately you're able to sell the company or your your firm? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just having a few really great contacts and clients, right? Like the biggest growth for us was like word of mouth and people that knew people. I mean, Victoria is a small town. I mean, we did have clients outside of Victoria too, but you know, you kind of focus in where you're local. And I think that really helped get the word out, be sort of in that community of tech companies, startups, and whatnot. And yeah, I mean, I I get a lot of people reach out to me, and they're like, so what, you know, marketing techniques did you use? And like, what sort of ad or, you know, ad spend that you have and like that kind of thing. And like, honestly, I didn't have a ton of that. I mean, I did spend money on marketing, I, I definitely had sort of like social media down consistently. Like I always wanted to be present online, but I didn't actually spend a ton on paid ad or paid paid marketing. It really was mostly just word of mouth referrals, that kind of thing that sort of built on and just having good relationships with people and doing a good job so that they tell other people. So that was that was really how it 
snowballed over time. And that's why I kept hiring more people to help me. It sounds like your path is very smooth, very rosy. Did you experience any setbacks, challenges? If we're in business enough, we probably everyone will say yes. So I'm interested to hear what's your setback, what's your challenges, and how did you keep moving despite of all the challenges? Yeah, I mean, definitely challenges. <laughs> it was not an easy thing. Getting taking on new clients is great, but it also comes with challenges because now you're dealing with new clients and new process possibly and new systems, new figuring it out and like more time requirements. And I felt like my biggest challenge was actually timing my hiring with new clients, like actually knowing when do I hire someone? You know, when is it worth hiring someone? Because of course I'm conscious about cash flow and and how my spending is, but you have to sort of time it with, okay, well, you're getting new clients, you're getting, you know, more revenue, but when is it the right time to now spend on a full-time employee? Because I would hire full-time. And so it's always this awkward balance of knowing when it would be worth doing. So that was constantly a challenge for me. (laughs) I think in general, bringing on clients and having sort of a lot of catch up or this sort of backup work where you're trying to get your clients sort of fixed and, and in a system that you know works really well, it takes a lot of time. So trying to you know, budget for that and be able to keep up was also a big challenge because of course that required more, you know, help from the staff and and everything like that. So it was, I would say that was the biggest thing was just, you know, clients versus staff and like, how do I balance the two and just, you know, and just keeping up with that growth, like growth is really great, but only if you're able to manage it properly. And so that's why we, we did grow, but we didn't grow like crazy, crazy fast because it just wasn't possible. Like it, you know, you have to do things properly and and have that like support that you need in order to get there and then keep going. We we sort of kept doing that over the two plus years. For a lot of people that two plus years is very successful journey for you already. But if you could go back and change something like including getting your customers, connecting your customers, or recording people, what would you have differently? Like now in hindsight, everything seemed to be a bit easier. I'd say there are certain things, you know, once you, you obviously learn all the things as you go. And so you're like, okay, if I did this again, now I know that, you know, I would only hire someone with this type of experience. And now I know that, you know, the certain clients I took on, maybe should have been more specific as to what an ideal client was, right? Because I think you you learn over time who your ideal client is. So you kind of take some interesting ones and then you figure out what your client is and you start marketing to that client. So I'd say that would have been a lot more clear. We would have had a lot of processes from day one. So as we even had a couple clients, you know, I what what could have been really great was having a set of like procedures and processes that we would use across all new clients rather than figuring that out as we go. And of course, a lot of companies go through this. It's not like it's pretty it's pretty rare to have like your processes ready to go in day one because you learn them as you go. But you know, having someone to sort of take that on and manage it would have been really great. And if like cash flow would have allowed for it, I think having like 
COO type of role would have been really great too, because it would have managed, you know, the people, how they were working with the clients, how everything's being organized, how like what your gross margins look like and sort of taking that piece away from me. Cause I felt like that's where I was heavily in and I couldn't work, you know, towards growing the business or looking for, you know, other clients or having those other conversations. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things I could have done differently. <laughs> Did you say you spend more time on sales versus operations? Well, you, you kind of hint it a little bit. Or you kind of very disciplinedly spend 50 and 50. Like nowadays, I will recommend people to, or my times to spend majority is, or at least 50-50, but more on the sales and growth part rather than operation part. The further they grow, the more they spend less on the operation. So how did you do that in second year, for example? I mean, my time was split so many ways because I was still working with clients. Like I only started to push client work away sort of once I decided I was selling, right? Because that's a big piece of, of the puzzle of trying to actually sell your business. But I think it was... A lot of it was heavily on like the operations and that's simply why I couldn't have done a, a ton of the sales side. Like, yes, you know, if a lead came in or a referral came in, I would have the conversation. I'd do all the, the initial sort of inf- interviewing and, and onboarding and things like that. But in terms of like actively looking for clients, I didn't do a ton of it. I think A, because we were sort of I was happy with what we were getting and and doing and we were pretty good as it was. And I would spend some time going to like events and networking and doing a lot of that. I kept, I stayed pretty consistent on that. So I I used that as kind of the sales side, but it was a very small percentage. And then a lot of the other side was like making sure the operations were working and people were happy and a lot of client work and and being involved in the actual client work that was happening. Would you say your networking events, are they generate your personal personal brand or are they generating your additional clients for you? How do you assess whether going to some events quite fruitful for your time or your investment? I don't know if there was like a direct ROI that I could think of. I think it was more like like I said, a lot of the connections I made were like local in the community. So I think being involved and like staying top of mind, it's no different than the career I'm in now. Very similar. You just, you know, it's not like you're going to an event and you're like, oh, well, I found a client there and I found another client there, but that would be great. And sometimes that does happen, but mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily that for me. It was more like finding some like strategic partners that I could keep in touch with and you know, maybe share a client with or refer to or refer, like kind of have this back and forth relationship. That was really what it was. So I don't know if there was sort of like a direct return on investment, but I do feel like overall, it was good to sort of stay in touch with those people in the community and those type of industries and things like that. So it was, it was to promote the company as a brand, but also me as being kind of like the face of it. That was really how people knew it was because of me. Cause I was a lot of the, I, I was the one that was working with a lot of the clients at the beginning, right? It was sort of me. And then it went down to some other 
employees eventually too. How long did it take you to prepare your company for sale? To prepare? Uh, I think like I only really had the idea a couple months before. <laughs> oh, wow. I, like, I'll be honest, I, I didn't start the company and I didn't like run the company thinking, oh, I'm going to sell this. Like, I truly felt like it was something I just really enjoyed doing. And, you know, eventually someone else could, you know, take over and it would just be a done deal. Right. But I somehow like the the idea, I think from just talking to people, like the idea came up sort of partway through 2021, which is when I sold it. And as soon as I got the idea, I started to think, okay, well, how can I better prepare myself? And I think the biggest thing there was, how do I remove myself from the company? Like it wasn't like all my administrative stuff was good. Like all the paperwork was great. Like obviously I'm an accountant. I have to be somewhat good at that. So that wasn't like the hard part. I think it was starting to figure out, okay, if someone was going to take this over, like, how do I remove myself so that it will keep running? Or that person can just like take my place or whatever. So I think I started doing that in like the spring, probably maybe like spring, late spring of 2021. And that's when I was actually getting it ready to list. And then once it was listed, you know, it was a slow process of me figuring it out with my firm and then figuring out the sales stuff as well. But it was only like a few months, like maybe three months ahead where I started to become a little more strategic about what I was doing because it was honestly not a thought before that. And then I figured it out. Fantastic. It sounds like... you might have a little bit more intuition in that sense than other people because of probably your background. Like being strategic is one thing. Being able to execute it on time, that's another thing. I'm not sure for you because thanks to me, you're very productive. So how did you be so on top of everything? Do you use any tools? Probably at that time, there's no AI or available AI like today, how did you keep yourself being so disciplined to achieve your goal? Well, I don't know. I feel like I'm just one of those people that like when I get an idea in my head, it will not leave until I accomplish it. Like it's just how I've done it. I mean, it's just like, you know, buying my first condo or buying my second home or whatever. It just keeps spiraling into this like, okay, I'm going to do this next. And honestly, like it, it is stressful. I'm not going to lie. It's, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, it seems like I'm never settled. Right. But at the end of the day, it's, it just sort of drives me to that next thing that I want to achieve. And so I think at one time, right as like right around that time, I think I was, you know, preparing my business, taking my real estate license because that was also at the time where I was like, okay, maybe I'll get into real estate. So let me do my license. So I did that at the same time. I was prepping my sale. I was looking at buyers, potential buyers, having meetings and, you know, doing all of that. And that was also the time where we had bought our lot and moved as well while we were just planning to build. So it was, there was a lot going on and I think I just do well under pressure more things on your plate. You're doing better and better. <laughs> yeah, just keep adding them on and you know, at some point I'll figure it out and I'll, you know, get it. I think a lot of people don't like do it like that they have the opposite effect where like the more that gets on their plate, the more they're like, no, I'm not doing any of it. But for me, 
I, I have like this goal in mind, like this end goal. And I kind of work backwards and say, okay, I'm going to do all these things. And then by this date is when I'll do this, you know, X, Y, Z. So. Well, we all have limited time per day. Like while you're planning on all the things, how did you, did you get to sleep at all? Or you're still pretty okay <laughs> on your sleeping schedule at that time? I slept. I mean, at that time I wasn't pregnant, so that was great. But I actually am like one of those people that can't work properly once like 7 p.m. hits. Like my brain shuts off. Like I am like a morning, I'm like first thing in the morning onwards until like it's like after dinner. And I'm like, no, can't, can't continue. So I was really good about shutting it off. I mean, yes, would my brain keep going? Of course it would all night. But I was like able to just shut my computer down, shut my work off so that I could actually turn it off, go to sleep, get sleep, and then do it all again the next day. But yeah, I mean, it took evenings, it took weekends, it took a lot of like, my husband being patient with me so that I could get what I needed to do done. And it was worth it in the end. So so a good partner is <laughs> very important in your success as well. Yeah, totally. And I mean, there was no kids at the time. It was really just dogs. So that, I mean, you add on like a baby to the mix. That's a whole nother thing, right? But kind of having, being able to do that, it was in a way it was timed nicely because I was able to do what I needed to do at that time, you know, before I had other priorities and obligations. <laughs> I understand you are also with Angels Forum. I'm I'm also a member. So I'm not sure I find you there or find... Uh, we met each other on Facebook somewhere. <laughs> we met each other. That's why I understand, learn about you as an investor first, then as, as a founder. Then I also know you're a founder. I remember you sent me a Facebook message that I didn't know about that message until a year way later. I was like, oh, that feels so bad. But that, that's just Facebook. I, I don't seem to see the message there. So, are you still with the Angels Forum in the Angels Investing or now your competing transfer into real estate investment and also helping others to invest in their life by buying homes or buying investment properties? Yeah, I'm, I'd say I'm less involved in the sort of startup company investing side there. And I've pivoted a little bit more to the real estate side. With that said, I still very much keep in touch with similar contacts. And I'm always, I actually do some of my own like fractional CFO stuff on the side. So I'm still like keeping a little bit in touch with companies and other people that are in that industry. But in terms of like where my networking is, my my focus on, you know, meeting people is more on the real estate investment. So whether that's, you know, you want to invest for the first time or you want to invest and buy your 20th, investment property, that's kind of where I've been focused, at least in the last couple of years. Are your clients from your property investments, mainly from the startup world, or they you have a broader audience now, not just the, the founders or the invest in that specific tech industry? Do you mean like in the real estate industry? I mean, your clients like invest from the tech industry, for example, yeah. if investors, VCs, 
angel investors in the tech and they also mm-hmm. come to you to say, oh, I'm looking for a house to invest. I want to diversify my asset class as an alternative asset class, for example. Yeah. I mean, I kept, I, I still am connecting with all of those people. I'd say I haven't, it hasn't overlapped a ton yet, but I'd love to work with people that are in that industry, right? Because I sort of understand them a little bit more of like growing, starting businesses, selling businesses and, you know, or, you know, potentially clients that have sold their business and now they have funds that they want to invest elsewhere, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. overlap that can happen within those two industries. So mm-hmm. I've sort of been learning how to somehow like overlap the two, you know, and I think with my background of what I've had, you know, dealt with in the past, a lot of, a lot of people actually come to me and think that maybe I'll be helping with commercial real estate rather than residential mm-hmm. because it sort of aligns with what I was doing previously. But my passion is truly residential. So although I can probably assist with a lot of that commercial stuff because of, you know, it's reviewing financial statements and all of that fun, I'm really trying to focus in residential. And then, you know, if commercial comes up, great. But the reason I went into it was more on the residential investment side. It sounds like your clients or your customers now, they're a new set of customers. That means you we you have to build your reputation and your customer list from zero. How did you start that? I've seen you selling so many already. Congratulations. You have successfully transferred your career and now also doing really well in your real estate business. So you must be really good in getting your customers and then getting them to trust you. How did you do that? The, maybe the first five might be very difficult. How Once you get a reputation, people come to you and knock on your door. But how did you start from competing with someone who always people lying up at the door? I remember I was one of the person that always chased a realtor down to want to give her business. I just like, that's the business. That's the best business. Like when people want to work with you and you don't have time for that. So how did you do that when you get to, before you get to that point, how do you build your initial kindness? It's not easy. (laughs) Like, again, I, I think it's the only way you can really do that is with the ones that trust you already. So. It's not as easy to like, you know, go on knock on someone's door, go call them up and say, Hey, hire me. Like they have no idea who you are. But for me, it was like really beneficial having people that knew and trusted me. So if someone was asking about it, they'd, you know, give my name out or they'd, you know, refer or I would be chatting with them and they're like, well, I know you like, you know, I'll talk to you. Right. So it's always those like initial people that like already know and trust you or or someone knows and trusts you, so then they trust you. That's what kind of builds your initial foundation of like clients. And then, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully that will grow from there because of that referral base. So, and I think that is truly what it is. It's like that referral base that grows. And it's similar to, you know, when I had my business, it was a similar trend, right? Like you'd kind of start with these people that sort of I knew in my sphere and it would grow beyond that. So it's very similar to that and takes a lot of 
work and a lot of rejection. But you just have to like move through those and and you know, at the end of the day, you want to work with someone who wants to work with you. That's kind of your end goal is to like work with those people. And I, I think I've had a few where I'm like, I don't know, that might not be my ideal client, right? Like I've said before, but you kind of learn that as you go and and potentially like advertise to those people that you know are are your ideal clients. Yeah, yeah. Rejection, that's something I forgot to mention. How do you deal with rejection? Like I think maybe that's to work with this for being a business owner. <laughs> Learn to deal with rejection or eat rejection as buffers. That might be one of the requirements. So how did you deal with it and how did you not let that affect you? The reason I asked it is I'm not sure about other people. I remember when I first started building my own business, rejection was the hardest part for me. And sometimes I will be sleeping for days in bed, just getting over one rejection. That's yeah. not helping anyone. So I think it's not their own fault. Rejection is never someone else's problem. It's our own problem and how we think about them. The, the rejection. So how, uh, how did you deal with it that it doesn't hinder you to, to move on to the next goal? I mean, I think just like anyone, it's sort of like a human reaction, right? Like of, you know, you feel like you're personally affected by it. And really it's just a business decision. So you kind of have to move forward based on that thinking. And like, I wasn't, I didn't ever take it easily. Like, especially the first ones, right? You're like, whoo, I'm not used to that. Like, I'm not, you know, used to this type of thing. But as you start to run a business, it's kind of like bound to happen a little bit here and there. So you sort of just, you, you start to like learn, you know, to just like move on to the next thing. I mean, it was like, for me, it was like, you would sort of be freaked out by one rejection. And then as soon as you had something positive happen, you're like, oh, okay, never mind. Like, whatever. <laughs> I'll, I'll move on now. But like the longer you had this like down cycle was always the tough part until you would come back up. That's always how I feel like businesses. It's just like roller coaster, right? But for me, like what was really important was to always get feedback and not everyone gives it. But that was my thing was, can you please let me know? Like, what is it that I did? Or, you know, that why did you choose this? company or this person, right? Like I'm I'm genuinely curious just to know what it is you value in someone else. So that's what I I feel like that's what's been helping me through it more is to like understand people more. Because is it actually something I can't offer? Well then that makes sense. But if it's something I could offer and maybe I'm not or it gives me some idea, then I think it's really great to do your own research and like ask the question so that that you can get all the info on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought I have all the rejections advice at my fingertips. What you just share is something not that I haven't heard of, but it's just refreshed my mind that, yeah, that is very useful, actually. Maybe I should look at it <laughs> all the time because, yeah, no matter how much rejections I've got, it is getting easier, but it's never easy. Yeah. It's just easier. Yeah. Once you're in business long enough. How do you envision your future? Now you have your, you, you've done so much in your twenties. Have a baby, marriage, 
our homes, our house, our business, build a career, and then now into your second career. What's the next 10 years for you? Where do you want to see yourself focusing on the real estate in the residential area? Do you want to build a big team? Do you want to keep being small? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question to look out because, I mean, for me, it's probably, okay, what's next? What's next on my, you know, list of craziness? But I don't know. For, like, I feel like this, I guess you can say, like, this decade, right? Because I'm just now in my 30s officially. It's to really focus on what I want to like keep consistent and like stable in my life. Like I think it's kind of done with like throwing all these new things in too much. I still, I still will do that, but sort of create, how do I build what I have now? So, you know, family is one, you know, building that and, and working on that a lot more now that I have grown it a little bit over the last year, as well as my current business within real estate. So yeah, will I grow a team? I wouldn't doubt it, but for now, I am focused on my individual self and like, you know, learning what I can. I mean, they say in real estate, it's like the first five years where you're really trying to like ramp things up and get a decent client list and everything like that. So really just focusing on that for now. And eventually, you know, as things get busy, I will most likely be working with other people and having them work with me to create something bigger because that's what I like to do. So yeah, and in terms of house building, I'm going to hold off on that for now. I think we're going to try and live in our house for, you know, I'm going to give myself five years because I move way too often, <laughs> but we'll see. We're going to, we're, we're good here. We're it's big enough for us. So a, potentially there might be some of my own real estate investments in the future that are like outside of where we live. That would be a great goal to have as well to sort of invest more on that side. But yeah, we'll see. Well, talking about investment, what do you think of residential investment in the, to build this bigger? What do you think of building housing, for example? There's no lack of market there. That's another problem for for people who are in business. It's not the problem of the market. Well, you get off product market fit while away, but then how do you? How do you think of building something like a building housing or rental and also get the supply? Where do you see there will be gap and opportunity? Or you haven't think about that side of thing yet? You mean for like investing in other like residential properties or building or both? Yeah, or both. Both. Maybe change the song a little bit buy residential property and change them to become rental or steal the housing, for example. Yeah, it's a wild time right now. So like the market is is figuring itself out. And I would say right now, we're getting into a really great opportunity for buyers. Although buyers are saying, well, interest rates are soaring high. Of course they are. Mm -hmm. But because of that, there's not a ton of buyers out there. So, you know, for those people too, that have some of that extra cash, they don't need a ton of, you know, a huge mortgage. Now's the time to really find those opportunities. So it might be a fixer upper that you want to renovate or whatever, or it might be a property where you want to rent out. So the rental market is still pretty good too. I I wouldn't say it's at the high that it used to be, but Mm -hmm. we're in a place where you can get good 
fairly good deal on purchasing and you can kind of do whatever you'd like with that, you know, in terms of rental, flipping, whatever. Of course, there's tax implications that run through my head all the time when I talk about this, but <laughs> but it is a good time. And I think like over the next five years, I mean, we're likely going to see values go up again. It's just only a matter of time, especially like being in BC. It's just, it happens. Mm-hmm. So people are sort of waiting for this like massive drop and you know, I don't, I don't know if we're going to fully see that. So I, I would more so just take the opportunities of like, when things are slow for buyers, that's when you're going to get your opportunity. And mm-hmm. yeah, so right now is that time. And who knows what the future holds and how that will change. Yeah, I asked that rental questions, because actually, I also interested in real estate because you mentioned about commercial real estate. At one point, I was trying to start my commercial real estate business and raising funds. And one of the family office general partner or the, the VC was my, I'm not sure I'm interested in the, the product you're trying to sell, but I'm interested in cell storage. I was my, I don't think I'll be interested in cell storage. My, the minute he brought up that idea, I thought about the ugly block of buildings mm-hmm. and I didn't pursue or follow up even doing a bit of research on what he's suggesting. He didn't say no to giving me money, but I was the one who said, no, I don't want that. My idea. Yeah. He hindered that. And then that's one of the things I regret. <laughs> Years later, I was looking at self-storage. <clears throat> it's actually more expensive than the rental. And uh, now, because of the zoning, the city already stopped all the zoning for self-storage. So if mm. I pivot my idea at that time, listening to him and pivot the idea, I could have get in a little bit more. And I think yeah. I will enjoy the money side more than whether it's looking good or not. So... That that's why I love to interview smart people who are not just focused on the oh, well, does this look good? If it doesn't look good, I'm not investing and yeah. not good way to think about business. Yeah, there's creative ways to do it, right? Like it's like it doesn't have to be the super straightforward option. So I think there's yeah, there's there's certainly opportunities out there. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you with your busy time, with your family your new home and new baby and do you still have two dogs or one two dogs <laughs> two dogs and adding to the fun yeah yeah it gets oh, hectic a, in here that's a dream dream life for so many people two dogs and also yeah have your own business and then building up your business i'll keep seeing you on linkedin and who knows if i keep following this podcast and I will eventually invite you back when you have a team and then see where you're heading and then how you can give other investment ideas to the audience. Totally. Yeah, no, that would be great. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for joining us at Small Fish Big Money Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you find this podcast valuable, and would like to help build the Small Fish Big Money movement, please subscribe and leave us a review or comment. Until next time, keep the game going.